we, we, we should rap about things that we like, like, like food. That's what? You bugging ass Jeff, you know it. We're gonna be like the Partridge family, but with food. You like food, don't you? Got any uh, white bread? Yes. Go away. I am the spaghetti. Duval, you're not the spaghetti. I am the spaghetti. Let go of the lid. Just spaghetti in here. Is this organic? Sure. Is it grass-fed? Yes. Cruelty-free? What's so special about the cheese maker? As the saying goes, you are what you eat. And I am freaking cheese. <laughs> Welcome to Cheesy Tay. How you going? Good, thanks, Peter. How are you? I'm not too bad. Uh, I think Julie brings people in to um, that I can ask questions that I want to ask. So. Yeah, she just asks total strangers of the street. <laughs> <laughs> but so you've got a cooking school, mostly all Thai. Um, Southeast Asian cooking. Okay. So we dabble in, you know, Vietnamese, Malaysian, anything that sort of, um, I feel like cooking. <laughs> okay. So I've got a question for you straight off the bat. Cause we had, um, uh, a lady in the other day who'd been all around China mm. and we're talking about no ovens. Mm. So do you have an oven? I have an oven. Because Vietnamese food uses an oven a bit, doesn't it? Yes, it does. But um, a lot of steaming is involved in many sort of like Thai desserts and cakes. Yes. So that is sort of something that you work around. The only the only use for my oven is for roasting nuts, which you can easily do on the stove. The stove it's yeah. just very time consuming. But yeah, if you, you can stick it in an oven and go away and forget about it sort of thing. Mm. Okay, cool. Oh, let's, so what's your favorite part of Asian, like which part of Asian food is your favorite is it Thai or um and, and is Thai is Thai too broad a term Thai is really broad but it's good for me because I get bored really easily yeah, every week I normally eat a bit of everything but Thai food just seems to have all the right influences and I'm very biased in saying this from all around Southeast Asia that goes into the actual cuisine so something like Masaman which is really popular at Thai restaurants is actually Malaysian has nothing to do with Thailand, but Thais are very good at taking things and adapting it and making it their own. A, li a little bit like Australian cuisine, I guess. Yeah, and it's exciting in a way because there's really no limits and all the um, immigrants that come into the country, they bring their own, like Pad Thai, for example. Yeah. Wok cooking, um, that definitely derives all from the Chinese immigrants. Before that, it was just um, steaming, boiling. It was really light kind of cooking because you're cooking from um, charcoal. Yeah. Yeah. Is that the um, street food, uh, big city influence? Like I'd imagine if you've got big cities and lots of street food, the people who are coming in from other countries, that's where, if they're going to cook, that's where they're going to cook. They're not going to walk into a Thai restaurant and be able to start cooking their own stuff, are they? They've got to sort of start at the bottom up. Yeah, but the thing with um, Thai, with all the different um, immigrants, whether it's Malay, India, they're all over Bangkok, they tend to, just like in most cities around the world, they have their own little neighbourhood. Yeah. So a lot of, if you go to certain areas in Bangkok, all the neighbourhood's pretty much Chinese. So you get Pad Thai, you get Yum Cha, you get really traditional, probably the kind of food that Julie, you know, sort of like is used to eating, where if you go to a more... So like a Muslim era, you get really interesting food using, you know, goat's meat and things that I would normally eat being a Thai person. So it's sort of, 
it sort of fluctuates all over the city. But I think they, it's hard to get into a Thai kitchen in a way if you're like a foreigner. But yeah. these people, they, build, they end up building their own community. And what happens is that they have their own unique version of Thai food. Yeah, That's okay. why it's like so exciting to eat. It sort of brings whatever they've taken traditionally and then it gets adapted into the into the Thai way of doing yeah, it. Yeah, so yeah. And I love that. Like every time, every trip I take back home, always learning something new. Yeah. Um, and now there's all these flux of Thai chefs going overseas, studying sort of like traditional cookery, French cookery, okay. taking it back to Thailand and sort of doing their own version oh, of okay. something in between. And it's sort of like a, a lukewarm type of thing where a lot of people are very traditionalist. Yeah. And they want things to be cooked only that way where you have all these other younger kids or my age, they're coming in and there's this playing around with flavors that they haven't done before and breaking rules. And yeah, I think that's, that's where it's going well, at that's, the moment. That's where the food culture grows, doesn't it? Yeah. Like it can't stay, it can't stay static forever. Otherwise it just gets a little bit boring. Yeah. I've talked before about how, um, new world cultures, tend to be able to do really interesting things with like wine and cheese and because they don't have that weight of history sort of forcing them down a particular path Mm. you know like if you make if you're making cheese in a particular area of france you sort of have to make it a particular Mm. way you can't just wake up one morning go i've got a really good idea to completely make this differently that's correct yeah that's right because no one will buy it Mm. so um yeah that that uh, tradition can sort of be a little bit shackling sometimes, can't definitely, it? Definitely, I definitely agree. Wow. What have we got here? Um, this is green tea hot chocolate. Okay. Oh. <laughs> this stuff is like crack. This is my second one this week. Thank you, Julie. <laughs> it's so good. So what makes a green tea hot chocolate? Are they, like, because they're not... That's not words I would expect to be associated together. So it's got matcha tea and white chocolate. Okay. Yeah. Is it too sweet? No, it's perfect. And lots of antioxidants, I believe. (laughs) And chocolate. (laughs) It's a very Western sort of thing to drink, but yeah, it's nice. Um, So what's, what do you like cooking? What's your comfort food cooking then? If you, if you're cooking stuff from everywhere, what, what do you like eating when you're sick or you're tired or um, if we're talking comfort food, I love using the oven mm-hmm. because it's, I feel like it's a lazy man's like yeah, it's, it's stick and forget yeah, sort of thing. Yeah. Yeah. And you know, like most Asian food you have to, it's very involved in the yeah. prep and the cooking is very short, but it's very time consuming. I yeah. notice this working in a, an Asian kitchen compared to like a Western style kitchen, the menu, the amount of ingredients. So when I want to relax, I would bake anything yeah. that takes ample amount of time. Like, gives me time to have a nap and then wake up and the house smells good that's my kind of cooking you're not going to get a, a four ingredients cookbook in thailand are you no but i do have an idea for my own cookbook 10 ingredients 10 ingredients yeah 10. <laughs> which is like super 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 simple it's hard with asian food it was going to yeah. be like thai with 10 or please no nobody take this idea or thai with 10 or something a 10 i could do yeah but you know any asian food with four ingredients is yeah it's a hard ask because it's sort of like lots of different layering of flavors and all that kind of stuff. So you tend to lose out a lot if you have to take things out and even working on adapting recipes down to just 10 ingredients, that's already a challenge. A lot of negotiation 
with, yeah what what do you take out yeah like what what is necessary and if you take it out how would it change the f- flavor are you disrespecting sort of the feel of the recipe is it still true to itself i often have these conversations with my mom who's also a chef she's much older than me but you know she looks 20 because she's asian um and my other friends so we i'll often bring something up and i'd be like if i you know it's good to like exchange thoughts and discussion because i'm always in my own head so we're debating of what we can and can't take out and it's always a fun process that uh, it's that um that, that base level of knowledge, like that feel for the flavors that make a particular type of cooking, mm-hmm. that's where I really lack sort of, um, I don't know if it's a confidence or a knowledge to just be able to cook something, you know, that sweet, sour mm-hmm. sort of ba- the balance. The balance. Yeah. Like, you know, I'm never sure, you know, how much soy to go with the lime, to go with the sugar, to mm. balance it all out. I don't have an instinctive feel for that. So if I'm, mm. I am cooking something like that, I tend to have to go back to really looking at a recipe and then I think because you're following a recipe, well, this is the way I feel anyway. When I'm following a recipe, I don't feel like I'm um, uh, engaged is not the right word, but I just, I don't feel like I'm being as flamboyant in my cooking. Yeah, it's more uh, methodical in yeah, a way because right. you're following steps. And a lot of people like that when we had the bookshop, I mean, I'm sorry, the book um, club the other night yeah some of the guests love books like that where there's really no room to move with things and i don't know like i find even the best cookbooks you know as much as they're tested there's always variables the stove the person measuring it so um even danielle the stuff that she cooks i love that she was just like this doesn't work it feels good to hear other chefs say that because you know, you don't air out your dirty laundry. Stuff don't always work. No. But when she, it's like, oh, she's human too. She makes mistakes. So, yeah, it's um, – I, I find the process more enjoyable when you sort of just – it's a bit more organic. But like what Daniel was saying, it's hard for her sometimes to follow a book because her own – not ego knowledge comes into it yeah and you want to want to you want to meddle yeah you want to meddle with it in a way and if you if you didn't you were like i see i knew better or like yeah that's right because that'd be the worst thing especially if you're a good chef if you followed a recipe and halfway through you're like uh i really don't want to do that yeah but if you were doing it for something like that event you sort of have to because that's what people yeah are are coming to see and then if it turned out not as good as what you expected and you think it's that one step or yes. where it branched off from where you thought mm. then that would sort of be quite irritating and be like mm. a little bit grating on the back of your mind definitely but Danielle was very open about what sort of um when there was a fork in the road and which way to talk, she took about yeah. it sort of thing so yeah that was really really interesting to see and to get somebody else to cook for you is always like a pleasure yeah just to sit and read the recipes and taste the um the dishes from it uh, uh, like I'm a shocking person for um it's not that I don't like being cooked for I just like cooking all the time does, oh. does, does that make sense like, <laughs> is everybody in your family like that uh no I do I, I do like 99% of the cooking at home okay. um, because you like it because, because you have to no and I think that's why my wife Vanessa says she doesn't cook more because she likes to cook but she likes to cook when she's got the time and the and the mm. space and, and, you know, she can really enjoy it. Whereas yeah. I can have 15 minutes to cook something and I still enjoy cooking. Yeah. Like it's just one of those things that I find. But there's nothing better than having something really nice cooked for you. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, especially if it's something completely out. Like I really like getting something cooked for me that I just look at it and go, I just don't think I could cook that mm. without practicing it like 20 times. Mm. The only, I've got two, two Asian things I'm sort of okay with. Mm. Uh, wonton soup. Mm-hmm. Pretty, that's a good stable I'm especially pretty, in this sort of weather yeah and i've got um uh three young kids and you know if any they're at daycare so it's constant flu and colds in our house so <laughs> sounds, I, I, sounds I, awesome a wonton soup with like a, a a bowl of diced chili that i can just sprinkle yeah. over the top yeah that that's always good um and then just the the noodle soup with like a lime um fish sauce, soy sort of um, flavorings. Mm-hmm. I'm getting not too bad at balancing the, the sugar, lime, soy, fish sauce mm. out now. I think I've always been a little light on the sugar. It feels a bit weird to put sugar in a soup. Yeah. I normally, um, in soups, I personally avoid adding sugar. Yeah. But what I would do in my stock, you you know what a wombok is, the Chinese cabbage? Mm, yep. It is the most sweetest vegetables in a stock so i've tasted i've tasted people's wonton soup yeah and i'm like is there sugar in this when i was younger they're like no it's just purely this leaf that goes in so just the outer leaves you can use the inside slice up really thinly to put put it in in your soup but try that because it does feel weird having to put sugar in to balance it out but that's what i've done now for a base of a lot of thai soups is a vegetable stock Stock, yeah so i again i don't think sugar is necessary in the tom yum soup which is like a spicy yeah chili yeah, soup. I love and tom yum. yeah and the other one is tom ka which is made from coconut milk and galango which is um like i can't it's not it's not really a relative of ginger but it is like a renzymes it's a root yeah but um either, both of those soups needed vegetable stock and uh, what i find at the shop after a while, with experimenting with using the wombok leaves, there was no need for sugar. Okay. Because it was sweet. Yeah. And it's a it's a pleasant sweetness. It's not like a very sharp sweetness like you get from white sugar. Sugar, yeah. yeah. I usually use, um, you know, the little blocks of... The palm sugar. Palm sugar. Yeah. That's really, really hard, yeah. Yeah, those, what, those are good as well. Yeah. I think they're a really great alternative when you're especially trying to make your diet more healthy because a lot of people use agave um, which is a sweetener made from cactus yep. like a bottle say maybe 300 mil i've seen at health for sure is 10 bucks wow but palm sugar liquid melted which if i know you come next time i'll bring it for you that's only five dollars fifty oh, okay and it's the same low gi sugar, sugar. yeah very under processed and it does have that nice caramel like, thing. yeah that's yeah. what i like it's got that yeah. sort of yeah, that brown sugary sort of yeah, flavor. Yeah, I feel like there's a roundness to it. So when you have it on your palate, it's not, it doesn't just leave you on a cliff, if that makes sense. It's like a caramel thing and it just keeps going. It's got a bit of undertone to it. Yeah. What about master stock? Do you have a master stock? Um, a lot of... I definitely do. Our master stock is a vegetarian one. Okay. Because I have full... Um, we have a business in Milton, which does... My Thai kitchen, which does takeaways. Yeah. So that business i get a lot of vegans vegetarians so my master stock is actually vegetarian so you do you work there or do you do the stocks um, for them i own that for the last five years and oh, okay. all my recipes are there but i've i've left that baby now I'm okay because <laughs> that used to be a um i used to live in um that orkin flower milton area so you used to go when it was peppies yeah uh the mexican restaurant before. no it was um yeah how long ago? How long's it been there for? Five years. Okay. Not that long. 
Yeah. Um, must be thinking of somewhere else. I'm sure there's, it was called. There's, there's a lot of Thai shops. In that. Yeah, I often people often get confused because there's one down the road, up the road, to the left, to the right. right. My mum's restaurant alone, which she's had for 25 years, the amount of staff that have left her business to open up their own. There's at least 10 Thai restaurants. Yeah, I'm, right. not, I'm not kidding you. Well, it's a, it's a very popular um, uh, good Thai, I reckon. You just, you just can't beat it. Yeah. yeah, and it's not easy to find. Like when I lived in Melbourne, um, obviously Melbourne is great for food, yeah. but if you get out into the suburbs a little bit, I don't know, the quality sort of drops, and I've been to places where I'm like, it's it's only surviving because it's the only one in its, it's area. area. Yeah. Whereas, well, yeah, on on the same down, like I live out past in between Beanley and Tambourine, mm. and the local Thai place is okay. Yeah. But it's very, I would say it's very westernized mm-hmm. Thai. Like it's very mild, mm. and even the hot stuff is not very hot. Mm. Um, but we talked about it before on the pod chefs that move to suburban areas like good chefs yeah. and then just absolutely kill it because yes y- yes they, they true. you know the locals find them and once they find them they're like don't we're going to yeah. keep Stay coming local. Here. we're yeah. only going to come here because you, you know you're the one decent restaurant we've had in this in this area for forever mm. so they just you know they basically get this incredibly loyal following yeah for a suburban restaurant so yeah, i see that a lot too and it's just the convenience of you know not having to go too far to to get dinner but also it feels like you're part of the neighborhood i've yeah. seen that a lot in melbourne and sydney as well where the chefs you know they want to own their own business and have a bit of a change and you know have full control of the menu and a bit of a slower pace and yeah. lo- obviously lower rent <laughs> yeah so um is that why you've gone from restaurant to cooking school um, I've always wanted to do cooking school, yeah. but that could never survive on its own. So I knew in the back of my mind, gave myself three to four years for it to build enough of a following because I was doing the classes at the takeaway shop as well on the weekend. Yeah. But it was very, it's only um, a 55 square meter shop. So it's quite long and narrow. So the most I could get in is probably eight people. people. Which is, I think, a good size for yeah. a cooking class because then you can sort of interact and it's Definitely. not it's not just sort of someone up the front lecturing you yeah no i hate classes like that you the point of you getting out of your own kitchen is to interact and i find i get all kinds of people with the classes usually i attract nice people because yeah. i'm a nice person but um i do get people who come and they just want to read only and i said like you know we've only got a couple of hours together yeah I'd rather you know more about palm sugar and how to use ingredients rather than read this whole thing in front of me because that's why I'm here. Yeah, and you can do that at home later. Yeah, but it, you have to put it in a way that make you don't sound like a douche, but I'm like, it's, <laughs> well, this is a special time. We could really like learn something off each other and yeah. just connect, you know? Well, there, this, uh, of my mate who lives with me, he loves cooking, but he's mm. not very confident. And he sort of likes cooking with me because then... Even if I'm just sitting there having a beer or yeah. playing with the kids, yeah. if he's got a question, it's just like, oh, how do you do this? Or what do yeah. I do here? Or should, yeah. is this supposed to happen? And that's what I love about cooking school is you sort of, as soon as a question comes up, you've, yes. got, the, you've got the expert yes. there. And half the time you be, it's being able to solve that little roadblock mm. is what's stopping you cooking something really well. Mm. Um, so, yeah, I love cooking schools. It's super handy. I mean, I still get 
emails and SMSs from friends. Sometimes they're often too late. Yeah. Because when I used to cook in the yeah, other, yeah. in the takeaway business, I'm like, please don't call me because I have left the wok burning before. Yeah. Because I'm like, this is really important. They're cooking this curry now and then eat me. <laughs> but I was like, from then on, as I asked people to email me, but you know, it often takes a day, so they need to be organized somewhat. But I love cooking with other people, especially when they're not chefs. And it's intimidating. I went to dinner at a friend's place the other night and they made a three-course dinner mm. and they were freaked out. And I was like, I wish sometimes that they don't know what I do for a living. So like a Batman, you know, well, Superman I, sort of thing. I get the um, I get that, but, but in a really good way. So I've got a couple of friends that when we go to their place, they're like, oh, Bezo's something. I've got to cook something nice. So I always get a really nice dinner. <laughs> That's good. <laughs> like something really – like last time I had, um, you know, the pork poached in master stock with, nice. um, you know, baby bok choy and like a chili relish, mm. like, a, like a fresh chili relish. And I was like, this is amazing. This yeah. is offensive. I'd be, I'd be stoked if I cooked this. And they're like, oh, great. Yeah, I was, I'm glad I impressed you. I was, just bring, keep bringing it on. I'll, I'll, I'm quite happy for you to think that way if I'm going to keep getting served up meals this good. So why do, they, why do they feel like they have to lift their standards for you? Are you demanding as a friend or you no, vocal just, about what you think about the food? Or why do they, what do they normally eat when you don't come over? Do they eat baked beans on toast? No. Or? Oh, Katie's a, a, a really good cook to yeah. anyway and so is Nicola um, I think just because I've cooked them so many meals oh, over the years so you raised the standards mm. oh, and well. like quite a and the same thing happens the other way too is when you know when you've got people coming around you either do two things you either cook something really nice that you know you can cook well or you experiment and you go let's I want to try this out on you you can be yeah. my guinea pigs yeah so um, and that usually works well I, I always find you know the 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 thrill the pleasure the the pressure of trying something new always yeah. makes you cook pretty good i think yeah i think you described it exactly either the road that's familiar or one you haven't done before yeah. and i think it has to do with the friendship as well yeah how that's close right. you are because you know you can if this really does mark up the worst thing you can do is order pizza yeah but with somebody you, that's new in your circle maybe you're trying to make a good impression um yeah, yeah you might go the safe option and also, too, like um, some of my friends, I've cooked for them for so long that if they're coming, they'll sometimes say, uh, can you cook this, please? Mm. Um, That's nice. It yeah. means they want it again. So yeah, the yeah, first that. time was good. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, but it's funny. Like, I love getting just recipes from everywhere. I, I can't remember. The, the wonton soup came from a Tasmanian mate of mine who's yeah. got no... Um, no Asian background at all. Yeah. And I think, I think I'd mentioned that I was just terrible at Asian cooking. And he's like, oh, mate, this one's foolproof. Try this. Mm. And, yeah, I've made that so many times. It's like my go-to feeling a bit feeling a bit sick recipe. Yeah, that's, that's perfect. That's really close to the rice soup that I would eat or that my mum would make for me when I feel unwell. I guess the thing you want to have when you're unwell is a lot of fluid. A rice soup. Yeah. So have you heard of a congee? Yes. yes, I've so, never made it though. Yeah, oh, it's bloody easy. Congee, basically, instead of putting whole grain rice in, the rice is broken. Oh. So you, some people go to Asian grocer to buy broken rice, yeah. but you just put regular rice in a blender and then it's broken. So it gets that sort of like creamy oatmeal consistency, right? Yeah, okay. So you boil that in a stock. So my favorite stock, heaps of ginger, because when you feel like crap, yeah, it always helps. Heaps and of ginger, heaps yeah, of garlic. Yeah, and maybe a couple of chicken carcass or onion whatever you have around just throwing it in and 
making that stock ahead of time, straining it, and then putting that rice in. You're just stirring it till it gets really gooey. Yeah. And you can put whatever meat um, in, like. So, so is it almost like a, a more liquid risotto? Yes, it's really quite liquidy. It makes it very easy for you to eat. Yes. Because you know, and it's sort of the ginger really does help, and the Thai version anyway that I've seen. Um, the Chinese have their own versions. Well, put little dumplings of, say, minced pork in there, which again is flavored with garlic, coriander, all the things that you, pepper, the things yep. that your body sort of craves. Craves when you're sick. Yeah, yeah. I've seen it done with. Um, it's really weird that the way that, like, I, like it is like a physical craving. Yeah. Like as soon as I start getting, you know, that second day cold, yeah. I'm just like. I need to go and eat a lot of ginger, garlic, and yeah. chili. Yeah, your body actually, if you listen to it, it knows what it wants. Yeah. Um, and it's sort of the same as like, I love chicken noodle soup. If anybody makes me that when I'm sick, I'll probably marry them because when you feel unwell, like getting up, putting clothes on is already like a lot of effort. So yeah. for anybody to cook and look after you, that's why, like, you know, as much as sometimes you hate your parents, even though you're older, you always think when you're not unwell. They go to all this trouble. They get to, your favourite food. They make you yep. your wonton soup to help you get on your feet. And the thing I didn't realise um, with those sort of fragrant soups too is, n- like, I think before, until I did that wonton soup, I always overcooked them. Mm. So, like, you know, too much boiling, mm. whereas, you know, now I sort of just bring it to the boil and then let it simmer for a little bit and then almost let it just cook cool back down and, mm. and get all the flavor in mm. and that's amazing how much difference that that made mm. and Pro- even the temperatures of of things is interesting the way things taste while it's boiling hot after it's cooled down mm. you know and i think when especially in the classes um in the way of asian food obviously you normally pair it rice yeah. people are tasting things in the wok and they're like taya this is way too salty and i'm like well it has to be f- flavoured enough to eat to, with to rice. carry, carry yeah. with the rice, Not yeah. a lot of people think that. And the interesting thing with the Western diet compared to the Thai or Asian diet, we eat a lot more rice. Yeah. So when you travel in Asia, the flavours are really strong because I could easily eat four cups of cooked rice every meal and it wouldn't be a problem. It's almost like a, it's almost like the garnish and the, the rice yeah. is the meal. So it's got to have a lot of bite to yeah. carry it across that whole mouthful yeah. of rice that you're having. It's hard to... Con- people of that or to get them to think differently yeah um about that well i, I work in the butcher industry and mm. we do a lot of um marinated and glazed products mm. and it's the same like you'll give them a taste of the raw glaze and they're like oh that's way too strong or that's mm. way too salty and he's like well hang on you got to put it on a piece of meat you got to cook that piece of meat and then you're going to eat that piece of meat with some rice or mm. potato or something like that mm. that flavor has to stretch yeah a, a long way if it tastes fantastic straight on your finger yeah. it's going to be bland as by mm. the time it's melted out into yeah. all that stuff absolutely right and obviously the liquid inside of the meat will come out as well so that will dilute it even more but i think most people if you explain things to them if they trust you they'll take on the information you know so <laughs> the the one i really want to make well is crunchy fried rice what, what's the crunchy what's, I, I don't know I've what, had... wait wait what's the crunchiness what component does that come from? I, I just feel like pulling the needle off the record. What What's the difference between that and a normal fried rice? Uh, I don't know. It, it, like, is all fried rice crunchy? Uh, okay, I'll tell you my first experience eating fried rice cooked by an Australian person. 
<laughs> in Brisbane when I first came here. So the rice wasn't cooked. It was crunchy, like you said. No, no, no. Not, not crunchy. Not crunchy like that. Okay. Not, not, not crunchy undercooked. What? Like crunchy like like when when something hits a little bit of oil and, and crunches it, crisps on the outside. <laughs> Obviously, that's not a thing. It's just I've eaten it somewhere and it's just one okay. of those things that's stuck in my head. I wonder if the crunchy component it might not be. Um, comes from something else that's in there, I wonder. Because I, I guess the, the rice is cooked already, right? Mm. So the inside is soft, the outside is sort of hard. But... um. To make that crispy, I think you would need to cook the hell out of it, mm. which which is what I do, <laughs> <laughs> which I've never seen before. And like, I love fried rice, but I just a lot of people they end up adding way too much oil, and it's just becomes very unhealthy because mm. the rice is like pasta when yeah, it's warm, yeah, it just sucks, sucks it, up. it up. Yeah, what I find when people come to the classes or just talking to people in general, when they make fried rices at home, it tends to be a little bit sloppy. Yeah. And that comes from overcooking as well. But also you have to imagine um, when you're making fried rice pad thai, anything in the wok, every component that you put into the actual dish brings moisture. Yeah, so more. it's a little bit of control. Like when I've tested a fried rice recipe, we used um, half a cup of onion because onion makes everything smells fantastic and sweetens everything. When we use half a cup of onion compared to a quarter cup, the half cup actually made the thing quite sloppy. Because like, it was just that yeah, more moisture yeah, coming out of it. Yeah, and everything, even though stir fries look easy and it is, everything that you put in, you have to take into consideration. Mm. So I know when people go home after class, they're like, I'm going to make this fried rice. I'm going to put like half kilo of chicken there. And I'm like, proteins have liquid too, as you know. When yeah, you're chicken particularly. Yeah, so you got to like, it's almost like you're enthusiastic, but you have to step back and like control it a little bit. I think that's why I only use, usually use a, a little bit of bacon in my fried rice. Yeah. No chicken. Chicken. Yeah. Normally I wouldn't go more than a hundred grams. Yeah. And cause yeah, too much chicken. It's yeah, just, it's just difficult. And if anything, everywhere. you can put grilled meat, grilled prawns, whatever on top. But yeah. I mean, when I went back to study in Thailand, it was really interesting. Some of these recipes, um, have, have you had a chakwetel noodle? It's like a Malaysian noodle stir fry with no. like Chinese sausage and sprout. It's awesome. But when I've learned recipes like that, it was weird cause some of the method involved you cooking the noodle in some oil and sweet soy sauce first to get that beautiful brown caramel color. Yeah. And then they move it out of the wok and then they put the chicken and the egg and stuff in and return it back. So there's all these different like ways of making the same dish, but the idea of that obviously is not to overcook the noodle. Yeah. So when you put it in, it's hot. Um, so there's it's many ways to combat the moisture content, but quantity is very important and a yeah. lot of people don't own a scale. <laughs> no, no. So well, when I, I I own a scale and it's in a dusty corner of my, yeah. my kitchen and it gets used for soap making and that's about it. Yeah, I use it in my cooking classes and I'm, when I'm baking, but usually I don't. But after a while, we just as humans we get so good at approximating yeah. things. Even just a little handful of chicken, I just give them an approximate. This is around about 100 grams. Yeah. So if you keep doing that, it's. Like I make a pretty good risotto now. I've, yeah. made, I've made a risotto probably every two weeks for the last ten years, I reckon. Mm, that's consistent. And yeah, and like I'm, I'm pretty consistent now. And people go, "Oh, give me your risotto recipe," and it's like, "There's no recipe, mm, is there?" Uh, <laughs> like, how much butter do you put in? I'm like, "Ah, oh, this much." <laughs> how much cheese? Oh, I go for this long. <laughs> you become like one of those grandmothers who like so, you can never write down the recipes. I did have a um, a friend come around once and watch me put how much butter I put in my risotto and almost died. 
I'm like, well, that's why it tastes good. It's got like half, yeah. half a stick yeah. of butter in it. And it's not until you make it yourself that you realize all these, you know, things that go into it that yeah. make it taste great mm. is, yeah. I made one this week with, um, uh, there was a big chunk of blue cheese on special. Mm. Like, you know, I love, one of my favorite things is, you know, the, the, the cheese at supermarkets when it gets too close to date, oh. but that's when it's actually half decent. After Christmas, after any big occasion, yeah. it's long, like cheese fest at Woolies. School, school holidays, long yeah. weekends, yeah. anything like that. Like I'm, I'm always cruising. I'm looking for those stickers. Yeah. So yeah, they had a nice big chunk of blue. At like a third of the normal price. I was like, "Ooh, let's throw that in." That sand. feels good. And it was really interesting because I thought it would be um, too strong, mm-hmm. but the way it melted into the risotto, so we were talking before about that depth, mm. just gave it a different. I couldn't actually taste the blue cheese, mm. and and when I Vanessa came home later and she had it, and I said, "Oh, did you know there was blue cheese in that?" She's like, "No, no," but it was not richer but it had a, a different sort of depth to yeah, it yeah it has more more depth when did you at what step did you put in the blue cheese uh so second last okay, so that's good all the moisture all the stock and everything in mm. and then i turned the heat off mm. put my cheese in mix that through and then throw the butter in on top and let that melt mm. and then mix the mix it through one last mm. time and then just put the lid on and leave mm. it for a couple of minutes to sort of all mm. just relax yeah and then serve it up that's perfect depending I, I on think it putting it in too early it probably would have just be a little bit overpowering and putting it too late like i've had places where they just crumble it on top yeah it's no. still me and blue cheese aren't like great friends yet but i'm learning to appreciate the depth yeah. that it would add if i compare it to asian food it'd be like shrimp paste yeah things that are like yeah you sort can of definitely an underlying go. thing and the yeah i can eat blue cheese when i close my nose but yeah. still yeah <laughs> still getting used to to them all um tom yum is it a hard soup to make no not at all not at okay. all okay I think it. what makes it wonderful is the use of lots of fresh herbs. Yeah. Because we live in Queensland, even though it's winter here. Like yeah, I have, it's always fresh yeah, herbs. I have all these herbs still in the garden and they're surviving. So it's pretty much a soup with lots of different herbs. And if you travel around Thailand, there's hundreds of different versions of it. Some version is um, just like a clear soup with lots of chili. There are versions with a little spike of coconut milk. Oh, that sounds good. And then there's a version which is actually most ties love that has a little touch of evaporated milk in there okay sorry with all the questions no coconut milk and coconut cream are they interchangeable pretty much yes so i get asked that a lot because it'd be annoying to have to like stock both in your pantry Mm. coconut cream is usually when people make coconut milk or cream they grate up the coconut and it's usually the first or the second pressing where they get the cream so it's the most intense most thick yeah the milk is usually the third and the fourth pressing where the liquid has increased. So, so same if, flavor, yeah, thinner, less, yeah. less. So what I would do is half and half with the cream. If mm. I don't have milk, I'll go half a cup of cream, half a cup of water, stir it through. Mm-hmm. And that's what a lot of people do in Thailand. They don't have both things in the pantry. I just throw cream yeah. in. And a lot of, I never buy coconut milk. Okay. I just buy coconut. I like things creamy. It depends what you, what you want it for in yeah. a way. And, um, it's just, yeah, I, I love how ambitious people are when they take on these Asians or any recipes from all over the world and they're running around Brisbane trying to look for ingredients. And yeah, it's not easy. And I get the same thing when I'm cooking, like if I'm cooking a South American dish, I'm not familiar with it. But I think it's all an adventure. And as long as you're sort of 
open to it. You can put coconut cream, coconut milk in. As long as it tastes good, nobody will complain. I make my... Uh, I, I make, I don't know what it's, it's like a yellow curry. I don't even know what it is. Yeah. It doesn't even have a name. It's just like ginger, um, fresh turmeric if I've got it in the garden, but if not, dry turmeric, garlic, and then cumin, coriander, coriander root if I've got it in the garden. Yeah. Um, so you grow a few things? Yeah. A- an onion, a little bit of oil. Uh, what am I forgetting? Oh, a bit of cane pepper, and then That's I just very close to a yellow curry paste. Yeah, and then I just pulse it up, yeah. for fry it off, some protein, yeah. tin of coconut cream, yeah, and that's like you know, standard. Yeah, can't be asked to curry. You know, it has all the all the makings of most curry paste. The only difference in all these red, green, all these different pastes is the quantity and what you want to accent. Yeah. And definitely yellow curry or sounds like what you're making, things like turmeric and ginger would be at the forefront of okay. the flavor. So it's more, when I looked at all the recipes together, it's really pretty much the same thing, but different accents in it. So things like green curry um, has like spices in like cumin and coriander seed, where red curry doesn't, but it's still everything else. Very typical shallots, ginger, lemongrass, galangal, cafe lime fruit. It's all the same base. Yeah. Mm. Have you um, used much lemon myrtle leaf um, being in Queensland? Not so much, but I have played around with it as a substitute for cafe lamb leaf. Okay, yeah, see. Yeah, have you used it Yeah, much? I throw it in if I haven't got any lemongrass or I don't have a cafe lime tree. Mm. So I just, yeah, if it says cafe lime, I just mm. put lem- lemon myrtle. I think it's not as strong as a, as a um, cafe lime leaf. No. How so, would you describe it compared to lemongrass? I've only had it twice. Once was in a cordial... Um, I find it works it's pretty greeny. Like yeah, it's, it's a little bit, a little bit more maybe aniseedy. Yeah. Um, I've used it in curry paste, so just throw the leaves in. Mm. They chop up pretty good. So, uh, uh, just getting back to the tom yum, the, the tom yum in Brisbane that I get out near White's Hill that I really like, and it has all the uh, aromatics, but not chopped finely mm-hmm. so like big sticks of ginger mm-hmm. and big s- mm. sticks of chili is mm. that yeah a, a real traditional way of doing it yeah it's almost it's only there for flavor yeah but still people see people trying to, to eat, eat it in eat the restaurant of- but it's almost there as like um a little decoration yeah. so we don't normally fish it out but this is an option i give to students but a lot of them will fish it out but in thailand you actually leave it in yeah, there just serve it in yeah but usually in big pieces you can work around that yeah mm. When my um, when my first kid was born and he was just sort of getting into solids and wanting to eat everything that we eat, and we used to um, I coached footy on a Friday nights just down the road from this little Thai restaurant that mm. was good, and so he'd come with us and we'd get something. He'd eat mostly rice, but he'd have a little bit whatever. Mm. But he got he's like oh, want, wanted some of my soup. And they're like all right, here he's you go. Got balls. And yeah, he he, <laughs> he had it, and I don't think I've seen his eyes open. So. <laughs> So, because like, I like it quite, not like super hot, but, you know, it had a fair bit of bite to it. Yeah. And he was just starting solids. So, it was like, you know, yeah, rice, rice. And so, ah, chili. Oh! <laughs> Freaked him out a little bit. But, mm. and, all right. So, do you want to give your cooking school a plug? Yeah, where, sure. Where do people go? How do they book? No worries. So, um, I the classes are held at a studio in Anogra. Um, we have classes every weekend, so you can always book in last minute and you can book at 
www.taykitchen.com.au and it shows you what day and all the different menus that we have. Yep. And is it on Facebook, Instagram, yes, Twitter? Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, TripAdvisor, all those things. Excellent. Um, probably the best thing about these classes that they're 100% hands-on. So really don't come unless you're prepared to cook. It's not like one of those classes where you stand around drinking wine. I've been to many. Yes. You get your hands done. You make everything. And, th- and there definitely is uh, some people sort of like going to a cooking class, almost like it's an a, entertainment. A, a more intimate dinner, yeah. like having the chef cook and yeah. while you stand there. Yeah, no, that ain't like that here. Yeah. I love to cook, and I want people. I want to see people cooking. So, and. How often do you run the classes? Every weekend. And we do kids' classes as well oh. on school holidays. They went really well. I had this cool. eight-year-old girl. She was she made curry paste. She tasted shrimp paste. She was she was like a boss. She didn't mind all these flavors. And I think it was because of her mum, probably what you're doing to your kids, getting them used to different yeah. flavors. And she has like a great palate. And the, the thing with kids is too, if you just put something in front of them, they're a lot more wary. Mm. If they've cooked it, or if, especially if they picked it off a tree they'll have a crack at anything i find that if curtis helps me cook something he will invariably finish everything that's on the plate really if okay like it's like they take pride in it yeah a a little bit of ownership and so and i don't think they find anything scary at all like even if it's a lot more adventurous if Mm. they've helped do it especially if they taste things going in as they go in Mm. then they're a lot more likely to eat it so yeah yeah cool All right. Thanks for coming in. Thanks, Vincent. Lovely meeting you. See you. Bye.